Thanks, sweetie, and thank you for tuning in to episode 157 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. And Happy New Year's Eve. When some of us think about our earliest memories of watching New Year's Eve on TV, we'll remember long before Ryan Seacrest and even before Dick Clark. This guy who brought the New York City ballroom celebration into our living rooms every year goes back to even before this holiday was celebrated live on television. He formed the band during 1924 in his hometown of London, Ontario, Canada, and sold more than 100 million records, maybe as many as 300 million. So, get ready to hear the sweetest music this side of heaven with a little sweet champagne to go with it in volume 157, 50 Years of Lombardo. Lombardo and his Royal Canadians with Boo Hoo, written by Edward Heyman, John Jacob Loeb, and Carmen Lombardo. Yes, Guy's brother. It was first released February 17, 1937, by Lombardo, and this recording was a hit for the group. Okay, why this record for this episode? Well, 
Who else is more appropriate ringing in the New Year with than Guy Lombardo? We celebrated every New Year's Eve I can remember while living at home, watching his holiday special live from the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. Well, at least until his last show in 1978. But my dad didn't wait until New Year's Eve to listen to Lombardo. I found several of his songs in my dad's stack of 78 RPM shellac records, and he owned six vinyl LPs from Guy. You can see why he was so popular. Anybody could dance to his music, (laughs) even me. And that's why the ballroom floor always seemed full every year. Now, two tunes that both have their roots in the classical music of the 1800s and both feature twin pianos. Spinning my dad's vinyl. Bye. 
Fred Kreitzer and Francis Vigneault at the Twin Pianos with Tales from the Vienna Woods, composed by Johann Strauss. It was first recorded by the Philadelphia Symphony Orchestra, which was conducted by Leopold Stokowski in 1927. Lombardo released this song in January of 1947. And before that, we heard Kreitzer and Vigneault with Humoresque, written by Howard Johnson, Hugo Fry, and Antonin Dvorak. It was first recorded on April 6, 1910 by Misha Elman. Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians released their version in May of 1944. Okay, let me tell you about my dad's vinyl I have chosen for this episode. Guy Lombardo, 50th Anniversary Album, on the Suffolk Marketing Incorporated label, number SMI18M. It's a vinyl LP album compilation mono format. was released in 1977. Its genre is jazz pop. Its style is big band and easy listening. We will hear eight of the 20 songs on this record. The liner notes are very short, so I will read them all. Rare performances from the past. From a 50-year career unique in entertainment history comes this treasury of Guy Lombardo's greatest hits. Here are all the favorites you remember, just as they were performed by Guy at famous night spots like the Roosevelt Grill in New York and on his radio broadcasts. Those performances come from an era long before stereo was known and electronic techniques were primitive by today's standards. Forgive the few imperfections as you relive the great musical highlights from Guy Lombardo's 50 fabulous years in the entertainment spotlight. Okay, let's see what prices this record is being sold at on Discogs.com. $3.57 for the high and $0.50 for the low. For $1.64 average and an $0.85 median, it was last sold on November 12, 2023 for £3.28 or that. $3.28. 
357 high price. I found several copies on eBay from 3 to 10 bucks and on Amazon from 12 to 25 dollars. My dad's record is in surprisingly good condition and surprisingly because Suffolk marketing didn't exactly find the most quality resources putting this album together. There doesn't seem to be much hiss or crackle even between the tracks. The album cover didn't fare so well. Although it did a good job of retaining the yellowish gold color, it's made of really flimsy material. There seems to be a couple of pieces of scotch tape stuck to the front. I don't know where those came from. There's wear on the top spine and a tear on the back, but not nearly big enough for my dad's black electrical tape. He's got the green magic marker streak and the word posted stamped on the back, but no address label on the front. So I will value my dad's vinyl at a buck. Next up, a saying my dad lived his life by, and he taught me how to take advantage of the same thing. Sunbeams that shine, they're yours, they're mine, and love can come to everyone. The best things in life are free. The best things in life are free. Written by Ray Henderson, B.G. De Silva, and Lou Brown. It was first recorded on August 18, 1927 by George Olson and his music with vocal refrain by Bob Borger. Now, I have no idea when Lombardo recorded this song. I can't find any information on this specific recording. Now, I've covered Lombardo's life twice before in earlier episodes. I told you about his background and his young life. I talked about his other life as a raceboat pilot, winning the Gold Cup in 1946 in his record-breaking speedboat, Tempo 6. 
So because this episode's interesting side note is so long, we'll keep this bio segment a little shorter and focus on what he meant to the average American. Guy Lombardo was born June 19, 1902 in Ontario, Canada. Often referred to as Mr. New Year's Eve, he held a special place in the hearts of millions across the nation with his iconic annual New Year's Eve telecasts. Lombardo, a Canadian-American band leader and violinist, became synonymous with ushering in the new year through his performances with his Royal Canadians, first on radio, then on TV. For decades, families gathered around their television sets, eagerly awaiting the stroke of midnight, accompanied by Lombardo's upbeat tunes and signature rendition of Auld Lang Syne. Lombardo's New Year's Eve celebrations weren't just musical events. They were a cherished tradition that brought people together. His warm and inviting persona, combined with the festive atmosphere he created, turned the telecasts into a shared experience that transcended geographical boundaries. Whether you were in the heart of Times Square or nestled in a living room miles away, Lombardo's broadcast created a sense of unity and camaraderie, making the arrival of each new year a collective celebration. Beyond the joyous melodies, Lombardo's influence extended to becoming a cultural touchstone. His New Year's Eve performances were a reassuring constant, providing a sense of continuity and optimism in times of change. Even today, his legacy lives on as an enduring symbol of the power of music to connect people and mark the passage of time in a spirit of shared celebration and hope for the future. He died November 5th, 1977 in Houston, Texas, at the age of 75. Up next, a song that was first recorded more than 128 years ago. Most of us know that one. The band played on with vocal chorus by Kenny Gardner and the Leonardo Trio. 
It was written by John F. Palmer and Charles B. Ward and first recorded by Dan Quinn in 1895. Lombardo recorded his version of the song February 26, 1941, and that recording was used in the film The Strawberry Blonde, released the same year. The Guy Lombardo version included only the famous chorus, omitting the two four-time verses. What do I mean by that? Well, let me answer it this way. Time now for this episode's interesting side note. And it has to do with a recorded version of the band played on that came before. Way, way before. We're talking about that Dan Quinn recording from 1895. When I first read that year, I was thinking this couldn't be right. I read you a quick history of the Gramophone Company, which became RCA in episodes 24 and 112 of this show. If you heard those shows, you'll remember that the evolution of recording and playback equipment fascinates me, so please bear with me. I must not have been paying close attention to what was happening before Emil Berliner fine-tuned Thomas Edison's invention of the phonograph and started to use discs instead of cylinders. The first famous recording on disc for the gramophone company was Enrico Caruso in 1901. But music on discs went back just a few years further. Now, I got most of this upcoming text from the AHRC Research Center for the History and Analysis of Recorded Music, or CHARM, which is out of the UK, and I'll drop the link in this episode's liner notes. In essence, Edison's machine consisted of a sheet of tin foil wrapped around a cylindrical drum, which, when turned by a handle, both rotated and moved laterally. As it moved, it passed under a touching metal stylus attached to one side of the diaphragm. On the other side of the diaphragm was a small mouthpiece into which the operator spoke. The sound waves focused onto the diaphragm, causing it to vibrate, which in turn caused the stylus to vary the pressure on the tinfoil. As the drum rotated and moved across the stylus, a groove was embossed in the tinfoil consisting of undulations approximating the pressure patterns of the sound waves. Playback involved placing the stylus at the beginning of the groove made during the recording and winding the cylinder along once again. The undulations in the tinfoil caused the stylus to move in and out and so the diaphragm to vibrate, which in turn moved the air in the mouthpiece, thus recreating the sound. Now, there were other processes then to complete each cylinder. He really only saw his invention as a form of telephone repeater. The idea of recording music was not not high on Edison's list of priorities. The sonic results were abysmal, and the recordings wore out almost immediately. Enter Alexander Graham Bell and Charles Tainter, whose development work resulted in the wax cylinder phonograph. A hard wax removable cylinder cylinder replaced the soft tinfoil covered fixed drum, and the recorder reproducer moved across the rotating cylinder instead of the other way around. With improvements to the recording and reproducing heads, the sound recorded began to be recognizable. Then came the gramophone disc record. Simpler to play back and most tellingly capable of cheap mass production, it was invented by Emil Berliner as a way of avoiding Edison's patent on cylinders. His gramophone was developed between 1887 and 1893. The process was as different from Edison's as possible. The stylus moved across the recording medium, now a disc, rather than a cylinder, and recorded on it by causing a stylus attached to a vibrating diaphragm to cut a groove, 
which oscillated in the lateral plane from side to side rather than the vertical up and down. A track was made in a thin coating of lamp black that covered a metal disc. These discs were then used as the master for pressing. So, yes, Dan Quinn could have that version from 1895 on a disc. In fact, this very recording here, and I'm just going to play about a minute of it. Casey formed a social club that beat the world for style And hired for a meeting place a hall When payday came around each week they breathed a blow with wax And danced with noise and figure at the ball Each Saturday you'd see them dressed up in Sunday clothes Each lad would have his sweetheart by his side When Casey led the first grand march the rest would fall in line Behind the man who was the joy and pride. Oh, if he would walk with a strawberry blonde and the band played on. He'd like cross the floor with a girl he adored and the band played on. Now you might have heard something you're not familiar with if you are familiar with this song. As originally published, the verse is in 2-4 time, while the chorus is in 3-4, or waltz time. The chorus is much better known than the verses to later generations. Probably because Lombardo left out the verses entirely in his version and only has the vocalist sing the chorus once through. (laughs) I hope you found that interesting anyway. Thanks for indulging me. So, does anyone remember why... Max Klinger played this song so often in an episode of M.A.S.H.? Beside the silvery sea I long to hold you near And kiss you just once more But you were on the ship And I was on the shore Now I know lonely nights For the while my heart is whispering Mother Harbor Lights will steal your love from me. I 
Harbor Lights, with vocal chorus by Kenny Gardner. Written by Jimmy Kennedy and Hugh Williams, it was first recorded on January 28, 1937, by Roy Fox and his orchestra, with vocal refrain by Barry Gray. Lombardo released his version in September 1950. That song has a huge mash connection. Now, I haven't done one of these in a while, but regular listeners will know I'll take every opportunity to connect the music on this show to my favorite TV show. In Season 9, Episode 7, titled Your Retention, Please, Corporal Klinger, played by Jamie Farr, was distraught over finding out his ex-wife back in Toledo was now seeing his best friend instead of waiting for him to come home from Korea. During his depression, Max continued to play Harbor Lights, saying, all I have left of Laverne is that song. He played it in the officer's club and loudly enough in his quarters that Hawkeye finally walked in to turn the record player off. He said, that's enough from the Hurt Parade. As long as the Harbor Lights are on, you're never going to see things clearly. The song in the episode was recorded by Sammy Kay in 1950, the same year as the Lombardo version you just heard. Next up, is a song you've heard before on this show, but definitely in a different style.
The Third Man Theme, written and performed by Anton Karras for the soundtrack to the 1949 film The Third Man. Lombardo released his version in January 1950. And by the way, the version you've heard before on this show, it was from Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Listening to Guy Lombardo and the sweetest music this side of heaven always brings back great memories of New Year's Eve growing up and even into adulthood. While this wasn't a recording of a New Year's Eve performance, it closely mimics what one of those shows sounded like, and it reminded me of all those New Year's Eves I spent with my parents and my siblings. On another note, the story I pulled the interesting side note material from is long, extensive, and well worth the read if you're into that. So, let's raise our glasses for a toast to my dad, who left us this great vinyl collection and left us a little more than four years ago. We miss him terribly. To my mom, who we have missed now for eight and a half years, but she had a lot to do with helping us appreciate this music. To my sibs and their families, which seem to be constantly growing. To my daughter and my girlfriend, who keep me growing and going. And to my viewers and listeners, cheers to a happy and healthy 2024 for you and your loved ones. Salute.
It's a Guy Lombardo medley. First up was Moonlight and Roses, written by Charles Daniels, Ben Black, and Edwin Lamar. It was first recorded on February 6, 1925 by Henry Halstead and his orchestra. Next up was Far Away Place, written by Alex Kramer and Joan Whitney. It was first recorded in 1947 by Vic Damone and Glenn Osser's orchestra, but wasn't released until October 1948. The version that was released first in October 1948 was a hit for Margaret Whiting and the Crew Chiefs. It was also a hit for Dinah Shore, Bing Crosby, and Perry Como that same year. And of course, the medley finished with Auld Lang Syne. And even though it's listed as traditional, the name Robert Burns has ties to the song dating to the late 1700s. He published it in 1797. Burns claimed that this song is an old song of the olden times, which has never been in print nor even in manuscript until I took it down from an old man's singing. Actually, a lot of poems with similar lyrics were written before Burns' adaptation, the oldest being probably Old Kindness Foriet. Uh, found in the 1568 Banatine Manuscript. Now, you can get a fuller story about the origins of the song in episode 105 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. By the way, I'm not sure what original recording this Lombardo medley might have been part of. And there you have selections from a band that kept us entertained on New Year's Eve for decades. Happy New Year's to you. So thanks for tuning into Volume 157, 50 Years of Lombardo, however you did. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops as we start Season 4 with Volume 158, Hurt So Good. Until then, go with the flow, my friends. (laughs) ¶¶